Amen. Well, good morning, church family. Please take your Bibles and open to Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Um, since I've been your pastor, we've taken this day, in thanks, uh, this day uh, right before Thanksgiving, the third Sunday in November, and we've done several things. First of all, it is the Sunday upon which we take our harvest offering, of course. It's also the Sunday um, that evening that we vote on our next year's church budget. And it's also the day that I focus on stewardship. So it is, this is the one Sunday of the year that I take to focus on stewardship, what it means to be a steward. Now, for those that might not have been here each year, I don't just preach on money on Stewardship Sunday. In fact, I've only done that one time. I've preached on stewarding our time, stewarding our work, stewarding our finances. I've also preached on stewarding the gospel and this morning, I'm going to preach on stewarding our bodies. What does it mean to steward our bodies? Now, I want to begin um, with a biblical definition of stewardship. Now, this definition I'm taking from the Holman Bible Dictionary. It should be on the screen, I hope. But this is what I've used every year about what it means to be a biblical steward. This is what it means. The definition is this. It means utilizing and managing all of God's provided resources for his glory and the benefit of creation. So utilizing and managing everything that God has given us for his glory, because we're stewards, and for the benefit of creation. So we get this from Psalm 24.1 that says, the earth is the Lord's. So who does the earth belong to? The Lord. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Now, as stewards, that means for us as believers, as stewards, we're called to utilize and manage our time, our talents, which means our gifts and our skills, our treasures, our money and possessions, our minds, our souls, our emotions, our tongues, the words we say, what we don't say, our bodies and our health, our relationships, our jobs, our recreation, our marriages and our ministries our families, and our fun, creation, citizenship, and civilization. All of us are called to manage all of those things as stewards. Now, there is one great Christian truth in all of this, and this is what lies behind stewardship. It's these two sentences. Owners have rights, but stewards have responsibilities. Don't you notice the difference here for a Christian? Owners have rights. They can demand things. But stewards only have responsibilities. Now for us, we are stewards. We are not owners. God is the owner. As C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, he says, every faculty you have, every power of thinking or the moving of your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his already. That's what it means to be steward. So this morning, we're going to focus on stewarding our bodies. And the Bible has much to say about this, much more than we will have time to discuss today, though I'll give it a good shot. Okay? Um, but listen to uh, Philippians chapter 3. This is where we were last week, but I'm, I'm going to just save this text to the very end. But I want to read it to you here, verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I want to give you basically, I think, three big principles today um, about stewarding our bodies. Three things that we have to build, uh, build a worldview about um, from the scriptures. Here's the first thing I want you to know. First, God created our bodies for his purposes and glory. From our DNA to everything about us, our personality, our everything about us is created by God for his glory. We see this from the very beginning of Genesis. After God creates the heavens and the earth, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord formed the man, formed the man of, uh, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. What I want you to hear from this is that God gave us a bodily existence. He formed us from the dust of the earth before he gave us a spiritual existence, breathing into our bodies the, the breath of life, creating in us a soul. Now, both are required to be who God intends for us to be. So from the very beginning, what it means to be human is God has created us as embodied souls. We also learn from the very beginning of Genesis that God made us in his image with bodies as male and female for his good purposes. This is what it means to have a body. Genesis 1, and 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, hear this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what this means, if we're stewarding our bodies and God gave us all bodies, is that God gave all of us either male or female bodies as physical manifestations of God's invisible qualities and glory. Male and female are both, are both meant to show us something of God's glory and wisdom. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that men and women use their bodies to work. They use their bodies to care for one another, to care for creation, to marry one another, to produce children together, and to rule over creation in a loving relationship with God. That's what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. God created us to use our bodies as stewards for his glory. Now, let me add that everything I've just said is prior to the fall of Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, when sin enters creation, it destroys everything. Sin and brokenness not only enter the world, sin and brokenness enter our bodies as well. But the truth of God's purposes remains. God has still made us male or female for his purposes according to his designs, according to what he intends for us to do with our bodies, as we will discuss later. Now, these simple biblical truths have profound consequences. It's very simple. God created us for his glory in the garden. God, these simple truths have profound consequences on our understanding of responsible uses of our bodies in relation to God's designs. 
Let me just say a few things here that might ruffle some of your feathers, but I just want to say these things compassionately and clearly from God's Word, okay? The, if what the Bible says is true, there's very profound implications of it. And let me give you a few. For example, a woman has never become pregnant from another woman. Nor has a man ever become pregnant. Nor has a woman ever given birth to her own body. Women only and always give birth to someone else's body. That was created by God for his purposes. It's a simple truth. These truths are not only biblical, I would argue that they are self-evident in nature. The teaching of God's purposes in creation also answers big moral questions like euthanasia. If God owns my body and I am a steward, then God determines the beginning and the ending of my bodily existence. This also answers the issue for this new movement of people who want to remove perfectly healthy limbs for their from their body simply because they don't want them or because they want to replace them with something else. In each of these instances, you have people rebelling against God's purposes and wisdom. And the essence of sin from Genesis chapter 3 is substituting yourself in the place of God. That's what sin is. Genesis 1 and 2, God has created things for his purpose and glory out of his wisdom. And in Genesis 3, you have man and woman substituting themselves in the place of God. So, number one, God created our bodies for his purpose and glory. I think if you answer that first question, then it answers a lot of other questions for you as believers. But the argument gets stronger for believers with my second point. As believers, our bodies are twice owned by God. Not just once owned, but we are twice owned by God. What do I mean by that? First, our bodies belong to God simply by fact that he is our creator. As the creator, God is the owner and has all of the rights. We are stewards and have responsibilities. I just quoted that from Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills as well. He is the creator. We are the, we, he is our creator. We did not create ourselves. We are the sheep of his pasture. This is what Genesis teaches. So all people belong to God by virtue of him being creator. But there's a second truth. As believers, at the same time, at the same time as believers in Christ, our bodies belong to him by, by virtue of him being our savior. Not just creator, but savior. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, do you not know, Paul is writing to Christians, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Do you hear that? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So Paul's argument is as believers, God has redeemed us by his grace and purchased us by the blood of Jesus so we don't own our bodies. Jesus is creator, savior, and Lord. And as Lord, Jesus gets to say what is right and good for my body. Jesus gets to say what is wrong and sinful in regards to how we steward our bodies. We are called as Christians to take up our crosses, follow Jesus as Lord and Master over our lives and our bodies. So this should answer a huge question for believers. If Jesus is Lord, he is the owner not only of my soul, but of my body. 
So Jesus has every right to say what I can and cannot do as a steward with what he owns. Third, I'm moving quickly, but I want to spend more time here on the third point. So, let me go back really quickly. First, God created our bodies for his purposes and glory. That's what the Bible teaches. All of us made in the image of God as stewards with what God has given us. But as believers, those who know Jesus, we relate to God not only as our creator, but as our savior. He has bought us twice. We are twice owned. And then third, as stewards, we are responsible and accountable to God for how we use our bodies. This is the logical extension in what the rest of the New Testament teaches. That as stewards, we are responsible and accountable to God for how we use our bodies as conscientious, um, responsible, decision-making human beings. Okay? Now, God is the owner of our bodies, as I've said. We are the stewards of our bodies. And as stewards, we have responsibilities and accountability before God. Which means we will answer to God for our stewardship. You cannot escape our responsibilities or accountability before God. None of us get to escape that. That's what the Bible teaches. None of us get to escape our accountability or responsibility. We are not robots. We are conscious, rational, decision-making people. God made us in his image with the ability to make decisions for which we will be accountable. We are all more than the sum of our genes. We are all more than the sum of our desires. All of us created in God's image have responsibilities and accountability. That is one of the, one of the dangerous lies of our contemporary culture is that you are not more than your desires. You are not more than just chemical processes. You are not more than just well, what, you're, what you have genetically um, in our lives. The Bible says you are so much more than that. Created in the image of God. So much more. I'm not robots. I'm not, I'm not bound to those things. Now, here's what the Bible says about accountability and responsibility from Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, verses 18 through 25 says this. Paul's whole point in Romans is to make all of the world responsible and accountable before God so that everybody's without excuse. And this is what he says. He says, for although they knew God, Romans 1, 18 through 25, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever." So Paul says there in Romans 1 that we are all responsible and accountable to God for how we use our bodies. God calls us to account, and out of that, I want to spend my next, uh, my next moments talking about two things. I'm going to talk about the negative uses of our bodies, things that God says we should not use our bodies for, and then positively what the Bible says we should do with our bodies to bring glory to God. So those are the two categories I want to spend time in. The first negative uses of our bodies. 
All right, now before I begin, it's important for us to remember, are y'all tracking with me so far, okay? I'm trying to make a rational, logical, biblical argument here. Before I begin this section, it's important for us to remember that due to sin, due to sin, due to the brokenness of our world, due to the brokenness of our minds, due to the brokenness of our bodies, each of us will face varying degrees of temptation regarding how we use our bodies. Some of us have genetic predispositions to addictive behaviors. Some of us are more prone to disease. Some of us in our bodies, we have disabilities. Some of us are tempted more and more with one issue or another. We all know that. We look around, we know that all of us are broken. But at the same time, the truth is Jesus has come to bring us gospel hope. Jesus has come to redeem our bodies. And one day our redemption will be complete, as Philippians says. But in the meantime... Even though we all face varying degrees of temptation regarding our bodies or various issues, all of us must honor the Lord with our bodies if we are a believer. So, in light of that, here are several negative uses of our bodies with that understanding in place. And I might start somewhere you might not expect, but I'll start here. Number one, laziness. Number one, laziness. The book of Proverbs is filled with warnings of those who refuse to use their bodies for any meaningful purposes, like work. Who refuse to use their body for any meaningful purpose, like caring for others, like stewarding creation, or being a blessing to their community or their country. The Bible says that is the wrong use of our bodies. Our bodies were created to work for the glory of God. So one of the negative uses of our bodies is to be lazy. I'll let you define that for yourself. Number two, y'all ready? <laughs> Number two, overwork. On the other side of that spectrum, on the other end, it's not those that are lazy, but those that actually overwork their bodies. Those that never, um, never take a full night's rest or a day off to allow for vacation or for recovery or for relaxation. Laziness on the one end and workaholics on the other, our bodies need work. Our bodies need exercise and your body needs rest. You are called to steward your body, so don't run to the one side of laziness and to the other side, overwork. But there is a third negative use of our body, and that involves the abuse of substances like food, drink, or alcohol. We can misuse our body with all of those things. This is, in essence, using our bodies only for the pleasure and satisfaction of its desires. This is allowing something outside of our bodies to control us by putting it into our bodies for the desired pleasure it may bring. So in this sense, food is no longer viewed as fuel for nourishment and care, but only for satisfaction of a never-ending desire. Drugs are no longer used for their intended medicinal purposes, but only for the effect or feeling they bring. The same would be true with drunkenness or allowing our body to be controlled by something other than the Spirit of God. It's using our body to produce pleasure or to give up the control of our faculties to something other than God. So, in the Scriptures, there is a rightful use of food and drink and a wrongful use of food and drink, just like the spectrum of work and laziness. 
And any time we take a good desire of God, a good desire like food, like hunger or thirst, and we twist it and allow it to dominate us, it becomes an idolatry issue. You are no longer serving God, you're serving a desire. And that is the issue with our bodies that we are called to steward. So you can be lazy, you can overwork, you can abuse substances like food, drugs, or alcohol, but then there is a fourth negative use of our body, and that is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and 4 says this, this is the will of God. I think we should listen to anything after the Bible says this is the will of God. It's probably pertinent. This is what 1 Thessalonians says, this is the will of God for your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Isn't that interesting that Paul says you have to control your body, control the impulses and desires of your body. God intends for us to use our bodies. He actually gave us sexuality for his purposes and glory to be used in the context of marriage between a man and a woman who were given bodies corresponding to one another. The issue in all of this is that you cannot, hear me, the issue in all of this is that you cannot satisfy a desire for God with food, drink, or sex. You cannot satisfy a desire for God with any of those things. In each case, a rightful bodily desire is twisted and corrupted and used not for the glory of God, but for the satisfaction of the flesh. It is an issue of not controlling the body, but of the body controlling you. You are more than your body, but not less. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, he that refu- he, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he refuses to be dominated by his desires. He says, I'm not going to be a slave of my desires, whatever they are. And then he goes on to say in chapter 9, verse 27, he says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. You hear what Paul says? Paul says, I have all kinds of desires in me, but I discipline my body and keep it under control because I am a steward of God. Now, now let me give you positive uses for our bodies. Positive uses. The Bible not only warns of negative uses of our bodies, the Bible also instructs us on the way to use our bodies to honor the Lord and bring glory to Him in our bodies. Here they are. You can write these down. I have four. Number one, positive use of our bodies. Number one, present your body to the Lord. That is the first thing you do. You present your body to the Lord. Listen to what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So the first thing I do with my body is I present it to the Lord as an instrument of worship. Lord Jesus, everything I am and everything I have belongs to you, and I give this to you in worship, which means I don't then take it off the altar, and altar is a picture of dying, right? I've died to myself on the altar. I don't remove myself from the altar and give myself to someone else. I've given myself to the Lord. So present your body to the Lord. And then secondly, present your body for righteousness instead of unrighteousness. Present your body to be an instrument of righteousness instead of an instrument of unrighteousness. This is Romans 6, 12 and 13. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Do you hear that? The Bible says so much about our bodies. 
He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its desires. Do not present your members, your body, as instruments of sin for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So the question ultimately would be, will we use what God has given us for righteousness or for unrighteousness? So present your body to the Lord, then present yourself for righteousness' sake. And then, third, use your body to do honorable work. Use your body to do honorable work, whatever that might be. Whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a student, whether you're a retiree, whether it doesn't matter where you are, you're an employer or an employee, our bodies are meant for honorable work. He says in, the Bible says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And this is why we don't use our bodies for dishonorable work, right? I can't say I'm honoring the Lord by work that dishonors him, like I'm a professional thief, or I am a professional defrauder, or... I do other things that would be dishonorable to the Lord, like entering maybe um, a drug, the drug industry to sell illegal narcotics or something like that. I use my body for honorable work. And then finally, a positive use of our body is we nourish and cherish our bodies. Nourish and cherish. Nourish and cherish. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Okay, then he says, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, his own body, but nourishes it and cherishes it. So this is the idea. We should eat right. We should exercise. We should guard our bodies. And on the other end of the extreme, we should not worship our body, but we should care for it and use it for the glory of Jesus. We should use, we should care for ourselves so that you can care for others. If you don't take care of yourself, you're going to be pretty useless in the caring of other people because you're also not taking care of yourself. Now, all of these commandments go together. Listen, the second greatest commandment in the Bible is this. Let's start with the first great commandment. The greatest commandment in the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor, what? As yourself. Sometimes we skip over the as yourself part. The point is that if you don't care for yourself, you can't care for others. Now listen, all of the commands of the New Testament require physical bodies to obey them. This is why we have to gather together as God's people in body, body, together, so that we can care for one another. I mean, how do we love one another care for one another, serve one another without being present. We are called to use our bodies positively for the good and blessing of others. That's an issue. We have, we have this commandment together. Listen to what James says to the church about caring for the bodily needs of each other. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And then he says, so by itself, faith without works is dead. And we are called to love one another as embodied spirits, to care for the needs of one another and to care for ourselves. So in conclusion, I want to leave you with this. 
The body, the brokenness of our bodies. All of us experience different, different levels of brokenness in our bodies. All of us are broken. All of us. That's a good place for an amen. All of us are broken in, in varying degrees. But the brokenness of our bodies should invoke compassion one to another. We should be compassionate one toward another. We should have gospel love one for another. And at the same time, though, we are never excused from responsibility or accountability as stewards. Though we can be compassionate and merciful and gracious, none of those things excuse us from our accountability or responsibility. Remember, owners have rights, but stewards have responsibilities. I have responsibilities. I don't have rights. What is the answer to our brokenness? That's how I want to end. What's the answer to our brokenness? The answer is the gospel. The answer is the gospel. The gospel is the only hope that we have now for this life in this body and for the life to come when we're given a new body. The, God, the, the gospel gives us a new perspective on our bodies. They are not tools for our own pleasure or for the pursuit of our own dreams or for the building of our own kingdoms. Our bodies are sacrificial offerings to the Lord Jesus Christ who has rescued us and redeemed us. The gospel promises and accomplishes more than the spiritual forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has begun a work of new creation that will literally remake the universe and with it our bodies. Listen to Paul's promise again in Philippians 3, so I'll end where I began. Listen to Paul's promise here. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. The body that's broken, the body that's riddled with sin and broken desires, the body that betrays us to disease and disability, the body that breaks down over time due to the brokenness of our world. He says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things even to himself. One day we're going to lay this body in the ground and our great hope is that Jesus will finish our redemption on the day of the resurrection when we will be given a new body like his, a body that will no longer have broken desires or, broke, or be broken by sin in any way. And we will, dwell, we will dwell forever in new heavens and new earth as embodied spirits, forever honoring the Lord and using our body for his glory. That's a gospel hope. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would take this word. I know it's been difficult, challenging, Lord, I hope it's been gracious. I hope it's pointed us to Jesus. And Father, I ask that you would help us all to possess our body in a way that honors Jesus above all things. And Father, we would use our body for the glory of Jesus and offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices. Father, I pray now for those in the room that do not know Jesus. And Father, they are walking away from Christ right now. And Lord, it is proven time in and time out by the way that they live and make their own decisions. And Father, they've not laid down their life at the foot of the cross and had their lives radically tra transformed by Christ coming to live inside their broken body to transform them and conform them to the image of Christ. So Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation and redemption. And Lord, I pray for others who, Lord, have been misusing their body even as believers that you would bring them to the place of repentance. And Father, still others 
who are wrestling with a call to missions or ministry, that they would use their body for the glory of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Lord, recognizing that you own every part of them. So, Father, we pray now you would speak to us for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. Would you stand with us? It's very simple. I just prayed over you. If you don't know Jesus, come give Jesus everything today. Body, soul, and spirit. If you know Jesus and you've been misusing your body in any way, repent. Ask Jesus to give you a newfound love and appreciation for the body he's placed you in. And if you're, if you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a place here where we're going to try to honor Jesus, soul, spirit, and body. Right now as we sing, you come. Pastor Nick will be here, Pastor Cliff. The altar is open. You come now. Oh, to Jesus I surrender. Oh, to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender Amen. I hope it's been a good day to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. Um, this afternoon, our uh, finance team will be involved in counting the offering, and so hopefully we will, uh, in faith, come partying tonight that we have met our goal. Um, remember, at 5 o'clock, we'll begin in here. Um, we will, we will uh, vote on our presented budget. Then we will hear from uh, people. We'll watch a, a slideshow of our church that Henry's been working on. I think it'll be a blessing to you. Make sure you bring your favorite snack. Um, you're wondering what I want you to bring, something awesome. So just bring something awesome, and uh, we'll eat it for Jesus' sake. Uh, but that'll be tonight at 5. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family. We won't have um, any services during the week because of Thanksgiving this week. Um, hope you'll enjoy the time with your family. And then next Sunday begins Advent season. So we'll be uh, working, uh, uh, walking through Advent together as a church family as we've been doing. I know it's some of your favorite time of the year, and some of you wonder why we burn candles at the front of the church. I promise you've survived four years, you'll do it again. So, um, that being said, Brother Allen, would you pray for us, and uh, we'll be dismissed. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that we have an opportunity to come to your house, to worship you, and to hear your words spoken, Lord. We just pray that you'd be with us this coming week. Help us to be 
good stewards of our bodies and all of the blessings that you've heaped upon us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.